Tom Koslick, the head of public policy and municipal strategy at Hilltop Securities. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for this episode of our Hilltop Talks Politics and Finance podcast series for 2024. During these Hilltop Talks discussions with subject matter experts, we consider topics that intersect the areas of politics and finance at the federal, state, and local levels in the United States. And we often concentrate on issues related to U.S. public finance and the municipal bond market. This is the second episode for 2024. Uh, in February, we hosted Phil Villaluz, a senior municipal bond analyst at Hilltop Securities, and we reviewed the Hilltop municipal bond sector outlooks for 2024. Uh, well, now it's an election year, and so we have Brett Bolton from the Bond Dealers of America with us today. The BDA is a D.C.-based trade association that's solely focused on the U.S. fixed income markets. So th thanks very much for joining us today, Brett. We really appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk with us. Tom, I'm glad to be here. And you're right. It, it is an election year yet. It feels like uh, every year is an election year now. So uh, happy to chat through this. Yeah, and there's so much happening on the D.C. front right now. I really want to just jump in and get right to it. And just it. from the top, Brett, can you tell me? Who's going to win the election in 20, the presidential election in 2024? I can tell you it will be an elderly male. I I, I don't know which one quite yet. Um, okay. If history is our guide, I, I do think that uh, current president Joe Biden will win the popular vote. Um, but it'll come down to a few key swing states as it has over the past few decades. So I'm really looking at Georgia and uh, Arizona as potentially flipping back red as they're historically pretty red states. Um, so then attention turns to the Northeast and Midwest with Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, those could really tell the tale, but it, it's too early, too early at this time to really give you a, a good uh, guess there. Do we have any idea who uh, Donald Trump's running mate is going to be? We don't. Uh, I mean, I do think there are some names up on the boards in Vegas. Um, my bet is it will be a female uh, my bet, again, a female named Christy Nome, a governor from the Midwest. Okay. What are the leading themes or topics that you and the folks of the BDA are following uh, you know, right now and as the 118th Congress and President Biden's term winds down? It's been an interesting few years, especially on the Hill. Um, the House has been a mess and the Senate isn't too far behind it. Uh, this year, I've really been focusing on the, the stalled-out tax bill. It, it passed the, the House with flying bipartisan colors. In fact, they, they just had a voice vote, meaning there's two-thirds excuse me, two -thirds majority support. So that was honestly pretty surprising. Um, it, it's run up into a brick wall in the Senate. Not too surprising. Most big bills happen to do that, um, I'd say at least 50%, 60% of the time. But I'm using that as a barometer, and I know we're going to touch on this in a little bit for 2025. Uh, when a good portion of the, the personal tax cuts in the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expire, I think this could really be a good a good tell on how those debates are going to go. Uh, beyond that, I can't imagine too much happening before the summer, the August recess leading up to the election. Uh, I, immigration stalled, taxes stalled. We have a dual-track government funding fight going on right now, which is just, just ludicrous, even for D.C. standards. The government shut down twice potentially in the next two weeks was just, just purely excitement. Um, so there's just a lot going on and none of it is really including all that much of a positive outlook, Tom, I hate to say. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about immigration and the potential for government shutdown in a second, but I okay. wanted to include this question uh, first. Uh, 
Uh, we've seen banking relators propose new Basel III capital reforms for some U.S. banks. Uh, what's the BDA's view and what has the BDA done recently in response to this possibility? Yeah, so we joined some issuer groups led by the GFOA, Government Finance Officers Association, um, and also SIFMA joined us on this letter, just kind of urging the regulators to take a step back, take a look at the the, the piece of regulation and how it may impact munis, muni holdings in, uh, in particular. Um, at this point in time, it, it's a lot more questions than answers. So we really pushed them to further evaluate the effect of the rules on the economy in general, and specifically evaluate the impact of the municipal debt market as well. And this is, I think, key, reassess the treatment of muni securities in the light of their tax exempt status. So this would be an indirect tax on, on the muni holdings. So, um, I don't think there were many positive comments submitted, so I do think that this will be a long, drawn-out process, and it might go back through another round of questions. So it's something, frankly, we're watching, something we're monitoring. Um, but at this point, uh, the, the capital requirements are for banks, it's, I believe it's over $100 billion, so it doesn't impact that many of our members, um, but it's definitely something that we're watching. Is there any, do we have any idea of what the timing is going to look like on this? You, you mentioned I, a long drawn out process. Yeah, we, I do not know, uh, Tom. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Do you expect anything on immigration from Congress or from the White House no. uh, to materialize before the November elections? That this is <laughs> sorry to cut you off there. Um, as I'm sure many listeners are aware of, there was the bipartisan Senate immigration bill. It ran up headfirst into politics 101, and it, it's it's dead. There was no way that that was going to pass the Republican-led House, and honestly, I think it would have struggled to get past the 60-vote threshold in the Senate, thus it's been tabled. Um, I, I, I believe that both parties view this as a great opportunity to run against or for immigration reform here in 2024, especially in the presidential election. So I think there's just it's, it's just a gigantic pinata at this point, and it's just too easy for both candidates to use it as, as fodder against the other. So no. To answer your question, I do not expect that bill nor any other package to, to advance this year. And honestly, I struggle to see anything advancing anytime soon. I think this was a, a last big bite at the apple and they, they just completely whiffed. So I, I, I don't see any way forward at this point. So one of the things that so we're recording this on Monday, February 26th. So just a few days before the the current CR that the uh, government is the federal government's operating on is going to expire how should we be viewing the potential for a government shutdown uh what's the most likely scenario as it relates to a potential budget agreement or are we going to get another cr uh what do you think uh, where that's concerned you're going to get another cr tom um but what it looks like i don't know what it i i, I did hear this afternoon and yeah you mentioned it's february 26th that both House leaders and Senate leaders are going to go up to the White House tomorrow, Tuesday, the 27th, to have a meeting with President Biden. So I know that's not much of a, a development, but in the, the scope of this discussion, that's a pretty huge development. Mm -hmm. um, but as I, I flirted with earlier in the conversation, the, the two track, two opportunities for the government to shut down in the next two weeks. Maybe it's the cynic in me, but I, you got to think batting 50 percent seems like a, a win for this group. So it's a real it's a real problem I think we're about to face in the next two weeks. There's a really good chance that the government shuts down at least for a short period of time. I know that the the, the Republican caucus in the House especially are really going to struggle to get a CR across the finish line. I think the margin now is down to one or two votes if everybody's there and healthy and, and on the House floor. 
And I know that beyond the Freedom Caucus in the House, uh, you know, you're going to have the, the moderates pushing back because there's not going to be a salt fix included, et cetera, et cetera. We can go down any one of these little rabbit holes you want, but it's going to be hard to get anything across the finish line without a big chunk of Democrats joining. And we all need to ask former Speaker McCarthy how that went for him and what the outcome was for that when he, when he joined a large coalition of Democrats. So it's a it's a potentially ugly situation, and I, I don't see a way way forward here. So one of the hot topics for the last, uh, especially year or so, has been about salt. Is there enough support in Congress to overturn the state and local government tax cap? So there were conversations, especially around the, the tax bill that passed the House a few weeks back, that the SALT coalition, um, led by Northeastern Republicans, would have a separate piece of legislation introduced. It would give a one-year uh, doubling of the current SALT cap. That piece of legislation exists. It's yet to go through Rules Committee, and I don't think it'll see the House floor under this House leadership. Um, I think for SALT, you got to look, again, at the 25 tax discussions. Um, I think it would take a wholesale change of house control maybe even um you might even need blue control of all three uh the, the both chambers of the legislative branch as well as the executive to get something through um but it, it is a pretty popular provision it's just a pretty expensive provision um so at, at this point i think it's going to just continue to be an issue and we also should keep in mind that that actually the salt cap expires at the end of 2025. So maybe the answer there, Tom, would be they just let it expire and it goes back to pre-2017 uh, tax status, but a little too early to tell at this point. So the uh, president's State of the Union is coming up uh, in the beginning of March. Are you expecting, what, what big picture topics are you expecting could be included and or talked about and are there any surprises that we should be uh thinking about it's an election year state of the union so to answer your last question first i don't think there will be any surprises but okay. i do think that the president will hark on several of the topics we've discussed here which are abortion and immigration to hot topic issues that are going to be really uh key in the upcoming election but beyond that um i, I can't imagine there would be anything tax or um market related um, it's just, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of, uh, high flying politics, if you will. Do you think infrastructure is going to be a talking point or a subject leading up, not necessarily for the state of the union, but do you think that the topic of infrastructure is going to be a talking point or a subject leading up to the presidential election? Like it was back in 2016? Yes and no. Yes and no. I, I, I don't expect another huge package to come through. They, they got two through in the past four years. So it really surprised me if, Either candidate uh, is pushing for another huge bill. I do think President Biden will tout the Infrastructure Investments Act as well as the, uh, I, I think I'm confusing there. I think the bipartisan one is the Infra Infrastructure Investment Act and then the Scaled Back, Build Back Better, the two big pieces of infrastructure legislation his administration helped get through. So they'll definitely tout that. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what President Trump, uh, he might push back against that, maybe say they need to promote a new bill uh, covering more of his priorities in the next mm -hmm. Congress. But frankly, I haven't heard that much about a purely infrastructure bill going okay. forward. Now, you have the FFA, FAA reauthorization, the Highway Trust Fund reauthorization. Those are always going to be hot topics, and right. those are always coming up every few years. But beyond that, I think it's going to be a tough ass to get a big spending bill through at this point. Okay. Back at the beginning of February, the bond buyer published an opinion piece you wrote titled, 
time, the time to act is now to protect the tech exemption. Uh, before we get into the meat of that opinion piece that they published uh, by you, I'd like to review a little background that might be uh, that might help some of our listeners uh, about the municipal bond tech exemption and the potential threat that you wrote about. I'd like to kind of set the stage. So sure. in order to do that, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what happened in 2017, uh, about when, how and when the public finance uh, community lost the ability to use the tech exemption uh, for advanced fundings. Tom, if okay with you, I'd like to start a few years before that. Um, back yeah, in 2012, the, the, the Camp Deficit Commission um, during the Obama administration, I, I think is, been the the most recent big full call for the elimination of the tax exemption and throughout the obama administration their budgets at least two or three times to correct me if i'm wrong there tom called for at a minimum a haircut of the tax exemption so yeah you're right the groundwork has been laid over the past 10 to 15 years and i think that led into 2017 where the house eliminated both tax exempt advancer fundings as well as fully eliminated, eliminated private activity bonds. And I think the PAB portion of that conversation gets forgotten because the Senate stood up and went to bat for PABs, in particular Senate Republicans, pushed back against their House colleagues to save PABs in the end. But as I'm sure everyone listening knows, advancer fundings were lost. Mm -hmm. So that brings us to the conversation we're having today. And the reason why I and the BDA are concerned about the tax exemption the vast majority of private tax, I mean, uh, personal tax cuts within the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expire on December 31st, 2025. General thinking is it's hard to raise taxes on the middle class. So no matter who's in charge of the presidency or either chamber of Congress, they're going to have to come to some type of compromise to ex extend a vast majority of these personal tax cuts. But as discussed a few minutes ago, I do think coming out of COVID, coming out of the infrastructure packages, two huge packages that passed, both parties have found religion on debt, deficit, spending. The concerns are valid and the concerns are there and the concerns are growing by the minute um, with you know the federal interest just going out of control and the debt and deficits just growing out of control. So that brings me to my point of these tax cuts will have to be paid for and historically, they've been paid for by dynamic scoring, meaning that they would just magically pay for themselves with economic growth over time. I think that both parties are going to move beyond that and actually pay for them by cutting spending. So mm -hmm. then you look at the tax exemption for municipal bonds. It's a top 10 tax expenditure for the federal government coming in at something like $40 billion annually. So it's no cheap provision. And when you're that expensive and you're that towards the top of federal expenditures for tax, you, you got to be alarmed. You got to be concerned. And just looking, as I mentioned, in recent history over the past 15 to 20 years, people have tried to come at it before. They failed. They failed, think, thanks in big part to the industry fighting, you know, the issuers fighting, et cetera, et cetera. And I do think that the industry is in a better advocacy stance this time. The, the public finance network led by GFOA in particular has really coalesced both the banking side and the issuer side to, to create a great, great group of advocacy organizations that are working hand in hand in concert. Um, but the, the threat's there. The threat is really there. So we'll see what it looks like in 25. We'll see 
how it starts to move, it's still way too early to, to tell at this point. In my personal opinion, just looking at the at the numbers, I think the House flips blue. I think the Senate flips red. And as mentioned, I have no idea who's going to be the president. So the dynamics will be the same, albeit different. But it points to a compromise. And that's when that's when the tax exemption could really be on the chopping block. So is there so as far as the timing is concerned, you mentioned 2025. Does that mean that uh, there's nothing that could potentially happen before the November 2024 elections? Yeah, I, I, that'd be a, okay. a, I, I could not see any scenario where anything with the TCJA is accomplished pre-election. OK, uh, so then the, I'm, I'm going back to the kind of the title of the piece. Uh, the time to act is now to protect the tax exemption. What are the things that you're seeing uh, along those lines? From the BDA's perspective, we're dusting off our old advocacy coalition, the Municipal Bonds for America coalition, which we use during the infrastructure debate. So that's buy side, working with sell side, um, just pushing a few key items so that protect the tax exemption, restore advance or funding, expand scope of PABs, raise the bank qualified debt limit from 10 to 30. So we think that those are common sense provisions where we can not only go on defense for the tax exemption in these discussions, but also remind Congress that there are provisions outstanding that need to be addressed. And advance for funding in particular, we can look back at 2017 and admit that some of the policy was incorrect. And I think that's a pretty glaring piece. So we're taking steps to remind uh, folks that work on that legislation in 2017 that are still on the Hill um, it's okay to go back and fix mistakes where where mistakes were made. But beyond the MBFA, uh, again, we're working with uh, GFOA and the, the Public Finance Network, just ensuring everybody's on the same page, uh, helping lead uh, advocacy and educational efforts on Capitol Hill. Because Tom, I, you and I have had this conversation over and over again during during Hill meetings. Staff turnover on Capitol Hill is insane, um, right. and very few folks were actually there in 2017 or especially prior to 2017. So education is necessary just to make sure they know what the tax exemption is and how important it is to our state and local governments, as well as our nation's infrastructure. So I think the key now leading into 25 is just get those engines revving. Don't wait till 2025 to, to start those efforts. Uh, we don't want a redo of 2017. We're not going to take our eyes off the ball. I know that everybody I work with here in DC and beyond is ready to, to take these Talking points, ideas, hard proof of what good the tax exemption does for state and local governments to Capitol Hill. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for uh, uh, asking the submitting that uh, piece to the bond buyer. Absolutely. Uh, as uh, you know, and many of our listeners know, that's something that I've been uh, following closely. I've worked with you uh, to do things uh, on this topic in D.C. and will continue to do so. And I've published on this topic as well. Uh, but uh, thanks very much for sharing uh, what it is that the BDA is up to, what you're thinking, and uh, what you're thinking about the tax exemption. That's very helpful. And Tom, can I just say it is important for the listeners, especially those folks that are market participants, get active in DC. Um, I, they don't need to hear from you know me at the BDA, right? They need to hear from membership, uh, bankers, traders, et cetera, et cetera, folks that really know the the nitty gritty of the market. It can really help paint a full picture of, of what the market is and is doing. So that's just key, especially heading into 2025. That's a really good point. And I'm going to layer something onto that because in the way in my seat of 
the major things that have come across and impacted the municipal bond market and public finance over the last uh, 10, 15 years between uh, BABs, uh, the, uh, the, the inf- combination of the infrastructure package and all the other uh, fiscal policy that's come from D.C. going back to 2021, uh, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, some of the more significant things that have impacted the public finance and the municipal bond market have come from D.C., right? Absolutely. So uh, that really, if, if from my perspective, stresses the importance of the, these things that uh, you're, not, you're not only talking about, you're working on. So thanks for mentioning that. I appreciate it. Yeah, and just listening to you speak there, those are all funding mechanisms, right? It's time for D.C. to, to really embrace state and local financing, and I think 25 is the opportunity for that. Yeah, great. That's great. Well, thanks, uh, Brett, for joining us. We really appreciate the uh, participation and your time today. Thanks, Tom. It's always a pleasure to speak with you and, and your colleagues at Hilltop. And thanks very much for those who tuned in and downloaded our recording today. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to listen. Uh, for those interested, you can also see the recent Hilltop Securities economic and municipal commentary and listen to our podcasts by going to hilltopsecurities.com backslash commentary. You can follow me on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, Thanks again, everyone. We look forward to bringing you more color in the future related to topics that intersect the world of politics, finance, and public finance. This has been Tom Koslick from Hilltop Securities. 